This is The Recap, a weekly reflection on the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, seeking to help you make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. I'm your host this week, Ryan Land, and I'm here with the preacher of this week's sermon, Nathan Mabry. Nathan, welcome back to The the Recap. Thank you. And we're also joined by a very special guest, uh, the senior pastor, <laughs> Brent Wilson. Brent, Hello. Welcome, welcome as a special guest. Very, very not special. No, you're special. Uh, so uh, we're talking about 1 Corinthians 7 today. And usually my, my, my opener question has to do with the topic of the, the, the sermon. But I'm gonna sp- or football. Or football. Uh, but I'm going to spare the audience uh, the the topical question, <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to tell you something we were discussing at youth, and see what you guys think. Okay, who would win in a fight, uh, Bible Man or Larry Boy? Bible Man. Yeah. Okay, that's like pretty clearly all the adults in the room were able to say Bible Man. I mean, he's got because a sword. he's a man, and he has a lightsaber, the sword of truth. <laughs> And the other guy's a cucumber. cucumber. <laughs> yeah. And so a crunch. A lot He's going to be turned into a pickle. A lot of the students were, were trying to make the case that, that Larry boy could win in the fight. And I, I was simply baffled. Just douse him with vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Brent, any football updates to uh, give? Go, uh, go Bengals. They look good. Bengals have turned a the corner. They look good. Bengals are looking looking unstoppable there we have it the the <laughs> the, the the icebreaker <laughs> so now we can uh nathan i want to turn it over to you first just to one i want to just hear about preparing a sermon like this yeah uh what is going through your mind what are you looking for in the text what, what's your goals you know as you pre- as you come to a text that has you know a little bit of a more sensitive yeah content and something that you know culture is kind of deemed like taboo to talk about Mm -hmm. it's like i want to know kind of from your perspective from a preparation standpoint yeah i think that well we know that all scripture given by inspiration and has profit doctrine approved correction instruction righteousness so how can we look at i like i like that you did that in king james yeah that's (laughs) sorry that's that's the way i grew up and so that's uh for me it's like how do you how do we bring that out of the text? So I think that there's some important parts. Thankfully, God has not left us in the dark and has given us some instruction in this area. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Paul's being very tactical in addressing a specific question mm-hmm. from the Corinthians. So I want to teach the text, but at the same time, I wanted to be sure that uh, though not expositional from this passage to give some broader brief theology around marriage and sex to, so that we don't say these seven verses, which we predominantly just looked at seven, um, are exactly like what we should believe about sex. Yeah. I also wanted to give it in the context of the Corinthian culture as opposed to American culture, but also make that trend, that parallel. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, as I did at the end, briefly, running out of time, but to acknowledge that there's been abuse in the area For sure. of sex, both uh, that people have suffered abuse, but that this text in particular can be abused, mm-hmm. weaponized that, uh, and can be brought uh, from a, certainly from a negative perspective. People have suffered as a result of this text. Yeah. And, and 
I think also that the text could be used like as a shield against, you know, some claim or of abuse or, you know, a justification of abuse. And so, yeah. um, I think it's, I think it's really important that you, that you, uh, that you laid that out there at the end. Uh, I do want to talk about, uh, the Corinthian culture for a second, uh, because you talked about there's, there's this interesting distinction going on in the church versus what's going on, uh, in Corinth at large. And, I think a lot of people would try to say like this is like uh it's the over sexualized uh uh culture just like ours like just like America's but it's it's I think that would be a a pretty mi- like obvious mischaracterization because there's a really unique relationship between what's going on in Corinth and what's happening in the church and their their response to that which is not how we respond in the American church today. So, and you talked about it as like, you know, the libertines and the, uh, Aesthetic. the ascetics. And so un- unpack that a little bit, like what's going on sexually, like in the culture of Corinth and then the church responding. Cause it's really important to, to understand this text. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we always through every generation will have to respond or mediate our relationship with our culture. And, it seems it's not unpopular that we go to one of two extremes. Mm-hmm. One that embraces culture too much so that you begin to look no different mm-hmm. than the culture. And one that eschews culture and, and strays away from it in the sense that uh, it's not that the, you, don't, you don't look anything like the culture, but you are taking the good things that might be in the culture and and throwing the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. in the idiom goes. So in the Corinthian case, I mean, sexuality, rampant sexuality, and the abuse of it uh, was strictly hedonistic. Uh, there were temple prostitutes. It was part of their religion and their mm-hmm. worship in this pagan way that come certain time of the day, these temple prostitutes go wandering the streets looking for clients. And uh, so it wasn't like, and it wasn't just that you had to go to the temple. They did. They came out into the streets. They came to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read one thing, talked about how, uh, quoting a a pagan author, this is a historical text, where he's like, you need your, you have your wives for procreation. Mm -hmm. You have your mistresses also. And then you have your concubines, which, mm-hmm. you know, almost like in a, in a sexual slave sort of way for daily habits. Mm-hmm. And so the that was there. Uh, homosexuality, or at least the practice of homosexuality, was also fairly rampant. Not and in the sense of, uh, I mean, not in the, in the way we think of it today. Yeah. Like if... Not relationship, it, just action. Yeah. And where... It was almost a way of showing my authority over someone else mm-hmm. in mm. through that act. It can be even through like an act of war. They mm. men would rape other men yeah. to show their superiority. Mm. And so it uh yeah, it's so and all perfectly acceptable as part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh one of my one of my favorite lines from like a really early church letter uh to uh, a, a, a non-believer, this guy's kind of outlining uh, Christian religious practice and the Christian lifestyle. And one of the lines is such a great line. He says, they share in all things except their wives. 
That's one of the lines that this guy writes hmm. ex- describing Christianity. Uh, and so it's like even so it's like in this culture, mm-hmm. yeah. it was unique. It was a standout identifier of Christianity that they were monogamous with one wife, at least to to Roman culture. Yep. Um, uh, Jewish culture would also be uh, largely monogamous, not not always, but um, but so that that just stands out. But so then the church reacts to this rampant. Um, uh, sexual sexualization of culture, uh, even like religiosity of sex by just like ultimate, like total rejection, right? This yeah. asceticism you talked about. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So when they say, and they're, and Paul's quoting them, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And that's the King James for you there. <laughs> yeah. So he not says even not to touch them. Right. And in fact, that is the word. Like yeah. when you talk about from a Greek translation perspective, it is the word touch, but it was well known that that was a euphemism for mm. sexual relations. And so that's why our ESV translates it that way. But when he, when they say it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, we read that and think, oh, yes, in this, for a single person, we, we totally embrace this. Yeah. But he's really talking about, they're really saying it's good for a husband not to have sexual relations with his wife. Mm-hmm. That we are showing our holiness and purity because we uh, have rejected this hedonism in such a way that we're not even going to let this have a foothold even in our marriages. Yep. And Paul says that's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. Right. It's like there's this, it's... I don't know, uh, you would maybe know more about this, but it's like, you know, the first heresy addressed by the church is Gnosticism, mm. which is a rejection. Gnosticism is this really complicated belief system, but one of the things that they would reject is the importance of the body. And mm. so like last week's sermon, Brent's sermon last week about the body is a very anti-Gnostic mm. uh, sermon, right? It's the end of First Corinthians 6, yeah. very anti-Gnostic text uh and then this continues to be anti-gnosticism uh where he's saying like no what we do with our bodies is not not just meaningful but it's like it can be good right uh and so uh, it's just it's an because that is not where we find i think christians find themselves now is you know you talk about the two responses uh the the church's response to the sexualization of the culture today is not usually in the way of all right well let's just have no sex ever. Right. Uh, we, we, I think we, we more than we even realize sometimes lean and bend more towards how the culture is talking about sex than, than what, what the Bible is teaching. Um, so Brent, any, any, any thoughts from, from the, the opening, from the, from before we get into the actual text, as you were watching the live stream from the nursery, from the nursery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I, I think uh, I think you guys have covered it. Um, it. It is interesting. I'll say this: from six, it's almost like you do have both extremes, like you were talking about uh, in the Corinthian church, because you've got a guy sleeping with his stepmom. Oh, oh, yeah. And, I didn't think chapter, about this in chapter six, and the response is, "Hey, our bodies are going to get burned up anyway. They're going to be destroyed. God's going to destroy our bodies, so it, it doesn't really matter. We can do whatever we want with our bodies." And so then you must have a contingent in the Corinthian church that's like. The opposite of that. No, we need to not have any sex. This guy's doing the wrong thing because he thinks right. he's moral, but or he's he's above morality because 
well, sex doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. I can have sex with whoever I want. And then you have this other contingent who's like, no, we got to be holy. We can't have sex even with our wives. And Paul's like, no, no, no. And I really think, you know, Paul's coming and giving the third way. And mm-hmm. so it's like most of the answers inside Christianity are typically a third way where yeah. what, Part of the world says this, the other world, the part of the world says the opposite. And Christianity is saying, no, it's actually not in the middle, a completely different direction. And so this different perspective on sex and marriage than either extreme that the world had. Right. So I think it's helpful. And, to and I hoped that, uh, you know, I'd use this illustration around alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Where we, the Bible does not prohibit it, it, but yet the world has abused it so much that yeah and even in the you know believers it's not that you know humans have abused humans so much. have yeah. abused alcohol and that you know lives have been ruined yeah. homes you know and there are so many negative impacts that it has that we say nothing good mm. can yeah. come from alcohol oh yeah like, that's that's probably true you know i'm I, I can imagine someone in the corinthian church whose dad or uncle or brother is routinely going to the the temple of Artemis or whatever, or Athena and, you know, hiring temple prostitutes, Aphrodite and, 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 you know, like, and how it's ruining his marriage and it's ruining their family. And it's like, it's, I could see that person being like, you know what? No sex, right? Like like this is ruining our lives. The, the discourse, the, the, uh, the disagreement, right. The, the, what it's doing to my mom or to our family. Right. And so I think it was a really apt kind of comparison uh, to it's like it's a reaction to real abuse hmm. that's been happening. Yep. Um, Here's the other thing I would say too that I think is interesting when you talk about uh, how verses like this can be used to perpetuate abuse. Uh, read a, read a book recently and she cites a study done actually by unbelievers, uh, liberal unbelievers, um, and what they found was people who are regular church attenders. Uh, they survey. So typically these surveys are kind of all evangelicals, but they broke it up. And so they went from people who go to church at least three times a month versus people who don't regularly go to church, you know, Christmas, Easter, or less than once a month. CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what they found was the, the the people that went to church at least three times a month were the least likely group of all groups, not Christian and non-Christian, uh, to commit domestic violence, to get divorced, um, all those things. And the group that went to church, but very irregularly was actually the highest hmm. um, group, uh, highest likelihood of all groups, non-Christian and Christian to commit abuse, wow. to, to get divorced. And so what that tells us is if you are around church just enough to hear verses of like in first Corinthians hmm. seven, but not hang around long enough to understand the broader context of marriage and how husbands are to be self-sacrificing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you use verses like this to perpetuate abuse of your spouse uh, and to just get what you want. But if you hang around long enough and you understand, oh, this is what Christianity actually is teaching. I'm actually supposed to die to myself. Then you then you're like, oh, I don't I, I don't use this for abuse. And so it's like verses like this do get weaponized, like you were saying, mm-hmm. by particular people who are around church enough to know them, but not around long enough to actually get it. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. That's super helpful. Um, well, let's, uh, let's talk about your, your particular, the particulars of your, of your sermon, um, and just kind of run through, uh, your points. And I think you did a really good job, I think, to start to say, Hey, this is not just Pauline theology, right? Like this goes back, uh, 
to Jesus, right? Jesus, Paul is just reiterating uh, and expanding on the teachings of Jesus. And so you said Jesus is passionate about our purity. I like your peas, by the way. Um, I I can always appreciate, uh, appreciate uh, (laughs) some good alliteration. Uh, so let's, let's talk about Matthew five. Yeah. Uh, early, f- early, yeah. In, early in the sermon on the Mount. Uh, in fact, Paul later and, and Brent, as you tackle next week, uh, talking about really divorce and remarriage, he has this way of saying, uh, the Lord has said, or Jesus has said yeah. something. And I say this, and he's not trying to contrast <laughs> like what Jesus has said and what he has said. He's saying there are certain things that Jesus addressed. Jesus, and so I'm, I'm going to quote Jesus mm-hmm. on some things, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's got more things to say to us. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to where he's quoting what Jesus said, it's Matthew chapter five. Yeah. So it's like, well, let's go to Matthew chapter five and let's find this out. And uh, we get to this very common, like, I hope because it's the Sermon on the Mount, I think mm-hmm. many Christians should be familiar with the fact that Jesus says, you've heard it said, adultery is wrong. That's right. <laughs> but it's also wrong to look at a woman with lustful intent. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to say, uh, in order pr- to protect yourself from this temptation to sin, if this is a problem for you, you should pluck your eye out. Now, he might be being a little bit extreme, but I think there are those who would certainly would have taken this literally. Mm-hmm. And certainly in, and then he says, like, if your hand offends you, cut your hand off. He's in favor of mutilation because he's saying that. To maim your body, as much as we think the body is important, if your body is what is causing you to sin, then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad he didn't say if your iPhone is causing you to sin, you should get a dumb phone. That'd be too far. <laughs> uh, I am sure that Jesus would have said something, <laughs> at least of that nature, if not more harsh. <laughs> uh, I was being a little facetious there. But yeah, I, I, I like that you made this connection. It's like that we go from Jesus says mutilation. Right. And Paul says marriage. There's a third one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And saying that. But it's and, and I think this is really important, right, is what we would never tell someone is, hey, you've got a lot of. Well, maybe we would tell me what you think about this. It's like, hey, you got a you got a lot of sexual temptation in your life, mm-hmm. young man. You should really just go go find a wife really quick. What what do you, what do you think about that? Hmm. Well, one of the things I think and I, that I would say is, I think one of the things we've done wrongly is to negatively speak to those feelings. Right. Only oh, negatively. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No. This the, is so good. Those feelings are wrong, young man. Don't feel like that. You know. And, and, and particular, you know, for guys and girls, uh, and what that's done is create made us think like the Corinthians here that sex is bad. These feelings I have are bad. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the feelings you have are at their core good and right and holy, and they are meant to be expressed in a very particular way, the way God has designed mm-hmm. it in marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of "Hey, you're wrong, young man," to feel this way, say, "No, these are good things. Mm-hmm. Look forward to the day you can do them rightly." And for now, uh, you know, have them under control until the day comes that you can get married and express them the way God wants you to. Yeah. yeah. I do think that there is a danger to prolonged engagements. Oh, like, for sure. Oh, yeah. Like six uh, month engagement right here. If you, um, um, and uh, if you 
in our relationships and, and for single people. Four the, months. Yeah. Ryan's four month engagement. How no. long was yours, Nathan? Uh, over a year. Oh, man. And so you're speaking from experience. <laughs> speaking from experience. <laughs> the problem prolonged. And, and well, for us uh, also, and well, I mean, Ryan, you and Darcy both were uh, adults living on your own. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like Rachel and I both went from our homes, from living with our parents. Yep. And we're not independently living. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a factor as oh, well. Oh, sure. There's a lot of practical things to consider. But in, you know, the Bible doesn't really have dating as a type of relationship. Yeah, it's not a category. And as, as you are singles in pursuing potential marriage, it's like you, you can develop this relationship with someone. And as soon as you find anything that says, I wouldn't marry this person, you should get out of it right mm-hmm. away. Like you mm. don't practice. Uh, but at the same time, if you are both committed to Christ and in, pers- and in pursuing him, it, you know, we now have, thankfully, from 1 Corinthians tools for conflict resolution mm-hmm. and other ways for us to grow into a healthy marriage. You don't have to be this idea of like, oh, here's the perfect spouse. Oh, doesn't, doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're not it. This is so. <laughs> this is one thing that 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 Darcy likes to to kind of like help. I think girls in the youth group think through is when they use this language of the one. Like yeah. there's the one out there, and Darcy's like, there's no such thing as the one. It's like there are many good, faithful uh, follower male followers, Jesus brothers who are uh, potential husbands, right? Yeah. There's not there's not some guy out there who's... There's no soulmate. There, there's an invisible cord tied around his heart and it's tied <laughs> around your heart and you're trying to like find each other. Um, and so I think that's I think that's helpful. If you think, think that, you're going to be really disappointed. Well, yeah, and, and, and people have abused that concept yep. as well. It's like, yep. oh, I married the wrong person. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. like, uh, I didn't marry my soulmate, so now... Uh, it's God life, doesn't say license for divorce. Yeah, God yeah. doesn't. We'll get to that next week. Yeah, but, yeah, you know where can you divorce? And it's like it's not you can't divorce because you married the wrong person. Yeah, and, not a thing, right? So uh, I'm not saying go out and just find a wife and make it fast, but I, yeah, I because I th- I think again third way, right? Right. It's like not just don't go find like the most immediate option, right? Just to curb yeah. your sexual appetite, but also I think. particularly America 2023, we tend to lengthen the process of dating engagement to marriage. Not we. we, Yeah. And also I would say like, Hey, young man is feeling this thing. And and I'm assuming by young man, we're not talking about a 14 year old. We're talking about a man of of, of, of marrying age, which or getting close there. Which some people would, we would say 19, 20, 21. And some people would take umbrage with that. I think. Yeah, I think it's the key is there's, there's some practical things about being able to support for sure from yeah, an yeah, independent yeah. finance situation. Uh, yeah, of but, course. Uh, outside of that, I mean, but I guess my, here's my point is uh, don't be sitting on the couch waiting for her to call you. <laughs> yeah. Get up. And go places, go to church, go yeah, yeah. the college particularly camp. Go, particularly go to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, there, but like be looking, be pursuing. Like, there was, don't no, just be sitting around. There was but this also temptation. Don't, but also don't go to church for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was this temptation yesterday to be like, uh, how many of you here 
are single and don't have this <laughs> gift do a, of do a mixer. Yeah, <laughs> this gift of celibacy. Would you just please stand? <laughs> like, all right, for all of you standing, look around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, here's some prospects for you. I mean, so I think after, church is after great. church, we'll buy you lunch. We'll, we'll, we'll set you up. We'll send you out. Uh, that's very funny. <laughs> I would have hated that when I was single. Gosh, I would have been like, oh, this is the worst. But this is like, giving you some prospects. Nah, I, just, I, I, was point, I would be pointing at like, hey, here's. <laughs> I, don't, I don't walked out. Um, gosh, I had one other thought about that, but I, I cannot remember what it was. So uh, Jesus passionate yeah, yeah. about our purity. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and then the other P is God has made provision for our passions. And this is kind of what Brent is talking about, right? Is that when we tell young people like, um, just like, don't feel that way. Don't feel that way. Don't feel that way. Um, put it away, put it away, right. you know, whatever. Um, like we're not opening the door or we're not showing them the, the, that God has made provision for this stuff. Yeah. So um, un unpack that, that yeah. for us a little bit. So I tried to have this little play on words with the word passion, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus passionate about our purity here. God has made provision for our passions. passions and in particular yes these sexual feelings that you have are not a bad thing mm -hmm. they are a good thing but they are designed to be uh, exercised within monogamous marriage and so and that god has provided this gift of marriage and he talks about it as a gift mm -hmm. for us to have our sexual expression. That's one, one purpose of marriage is that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's just really where, you know, God has designed us as sexual beings, but within a certain context. Yeah. And I, I also think like, we talked about this last week on, on the recap with Darcy is that like the thinking about God's lines, God's laws, as for our good, they're to protect right. us. Mm -hmm. um, and so, he, you know, you talked about the doubles court. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, they're the tennis court. And it's like, uh, I was kind of thinking about it and kind of expanding on that in my head. It's like, if you're so, if you're playing singles tennis, mm -hmm. but you say, you know what? I think I'd like to use the the outer lines. Right. Right. As my, as my, it's like, you're at a disadvantage. Mm. Like you have more ground to cover. Like if you are trying to play doubles yep in the if you're trying to play in the doubles lines by yourself you're right. at a disadvantage and it's like in the same way when you are trying to live uh a life of someone who is married right by having sex by uh living together by you are putting yourself yeah. and your relationship at a disadvantage yep. like you're already mm -hmm. starting on the wrong foot and, and i think part and i don't think you talked about this nathan but tell me if you did um I think part of that is we uh, modern, you know, not Christian people think of sex as purely physical. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And so like, what's the difference in giving someone a high five and versus having sex with them for the, for the world? It's not, there's no difference. And I think part of the difference is we're saying is like, no, you're becoming one flesh with them. Yeah. yeah. There is something spiritual, physical, emotional, deep, guttural that is happening intimate that's what we call intimacy that you're becoming your souls are mingling right and so uh you just go do that with a bunch of people it has an effect 
It actually is harmful to you because you're giving a part of yourself away, your soul away. You're like in, in this weird spiritual sense that now this person isn't committed to you. Like it's, it's harmful. It's dangerous. Yeah. So I'm, did you, you didn't really get to there. Did you? No, I mean, and that's why I was like, hy hey, you can't just write a theology of sex yeah, yeah, out, of, yeah, yeah. out of 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's seven verses here that we looked at, and then you got all of the Song of Songs, and you've got, uh, <laughs> yeah. you've got yeah. plenty of other places in Scripture where God is teaching us a little bit more about that holistic mm -hmm. uh, one flesh, and he does... You know, just addresses one flesh in End chapter six. six. Yeah. yeah, he's like, "Why would you take your body and unite it to a prostitute?" Yeah, uh, because there's meaning in the sexual relationship. It's not a meaningless thing, mm -hmm. and it is body, soul, spirit. Right. Uh, the and, and I think in a in an honest moment, like people who have lived in kind of like hookup culture and. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, sex as purely physical and, um, you know, like transactional or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think people would be able to attest that like, and like, like every rom-com that starts out with that premise is about this, right? Mm. It's like every rom-com that ever starts out, it's like, oh, we're just going to hook up. We're just going to be like friends with benefits or whatever. What always happens, they like fall in love yeah. or they, you know, there's, there's something uh, uh, transcendent, right? Non-physical that happens, and mm -hmm. I think in I think it's true for real life too. I think people who uh, lived a life of hookup culture or whatever would attest to it's like, yeah, there, like there is something more mm. to 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 this life of of sleeping together and never seeing each other again than than I yeah uh, yeah than I felt in the in the moment and, and then. To, to springboard off of that. So then within marriage, like if you begin to feel disconnected and everything within marriage, mm -hmm. perhaps it's not because you've connected in, in this way yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's that, that this helps continue to foster that depth. Yeah, I, do, I get to do this with no one else, right. but you. Um, and that does bring a level of closeness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't, uh, when I go to the YMCA, I'm, not one who likes to walk around the locker room with all my clothes off. Oh, right. Uh, I know there are those. You're not an 80 year old man. <laughs> I know there the are those the stories I could tell. Man. <laughs> have this level of comfort. But I mean, there is a, in the space of our relationships with our wives, it's like that's because there's a vulnerability to disrobing. Well, I, I mean, go back to Genesis, right? Right. It's like, oh, yeah, that's good. Like, there's no shame. They were naked them. and not unashamed. Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's this, there's this moment where they are ashamed, but not of each other, right? right? They're not ashamed. It's like Adam and Eve aren't ashamed of being naked in front of one another. They're vulnerable before a th there's now a third party that they yeah. recognize as judging them mm. and it's God. Uh, and so that's, that's, I had never even thought about that Genesis connection to, to this text. Um, but there is this, there's a vulnerability that, yeah. that you are, you're giving to another person and trusting them with. That's good. Right. The other thing I want to say about, you know, God pro have, has provisions for our passions is like, I think people want to see this as like an oppressive text. Like this is sexually oppressive. Um, and it's like, no, it actually in the context of like, Paul is sexually liberating a whole church. Yeah. <laughs> like he's saying, no, go have sex with your wives. As much as you it's want, like, yeah. unless you're going to stop and pray yeah. as much as you want. And so it's like, I think there's this notion of like the Bible being like, you know, sexually oppressive. 
And I, th- I think this is a hilarious text to, you know, people oh, yeah. who would say that it's like, mm. then why did Paul just te- write a letter telling a whole church to go have sex with their wives as much as they want? You know, it's like, doesn't sound sexually oppressive to me. Mm. Sounds liberating. Right. Uh, and so then we go to, this is my favorite point <laughs> to pursue perpetual passion for purity. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. I had, I had, I kind of went a little bit over the top on that. No, that's good. And particularly because it's this sensitive topic. And so yeah, I'm trying yeah. to bring a little bit of humor in the <laughs> yeah. alliteration. But uh, so he's saying exactly what you're saying. Go have sex with your wife, with your spouse. Uh, and so that is the way, in in a sense, a way to protect. Like There's another P you can throw in there. Oh, uh, Protect and pursue your perpetual passion for purity. <laughs> you know, and, and, and practice. I'm not going to list the whole thing. Uh, no, I did. I did at one point in the preparation. In the preparation, <laughs> I did stop and put like, how long could I make this? Yeah, you paused. Yeah, right. And there was, oh, oh, I got to pause in here in a second. But uh, but the but the practice, you know, put it into practice, and for your protection, for your purity, uh, because uh, Satan is Satan and his. Demons, minions, those, this is, I talk about this with people like, you know, Satan's not uh, omnipresent. So Mm -hmm. you and I probably have not been tempted directly by Satan. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, obviously, the screw screw tape letters is a, you know, maybe some helpful insight, fictional, but still insightful. That in, you know, in the world of data analytics, Satan's got more data on you than anybody else. Mm. <laughs> Which you is know, you terrifying because a lot of people have a lot of information on me, oh, like, yeah. like meta. And- yeah, you, ta- you think about targeted ads on uh, oh, yeah. social you, you media. You talk about something and That's all of a sudden it's popping up. Right. I mean, but Satan's, you think your phone's listening to you? <laughs> yeah. Satan and his... He's listening Team to your thoughts. Pre- preach, your, man. Is, is, is listening. And so if, if anyone knows how to get at you, he does. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about the temptations that we could potentially face. Uh, so when I was in premarital counseling, yeah. um, our the pastor that was pre- doing our premarital counseling uh, said to us, uh, we should not neglect one another. Like, like if, how do you say this? Basically like, you, each other, are the protection for the other to not get addicted to pornography because mm-hmm. you should have enough of each other that you don't need that. Right. Um, and so it's interesting because you talk about the Google search thing about the number one Google. I don't remember, I don't remember how you said yeah. it, but it's like it was. The number one complaint about marriage is a sexless marriage. Yeah. Not we're not talking enough, not right. whatever. Uh, yeah. And so wow. it's like. <laughs> You're, 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 you're failing to give the other person the protection right. that they need from sexual impurity. Yeah. Well, and like, I think this goes kind of hand in hand with what, what we're talking about here is your, your, this idea of, you know, flubbing, is that what it's called? Yeah. Like, or, uh, what was the te- techno, te- technoference? Yeah. Technoference is like, and, and not only is the problem sexless marriages, but one of the things that is leading to a sexless marriage is we're looking at this object in our hand that can show us any woman, any man doing anything hmm. 
right. at any, at, at whatever time of the day we want. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, I think there's a level in which I think, I think addiction to pornography can be a symptom of a sexless marriage, but I think it's also possible that it's the cause. Oh, sure. Yeah. Is yeah. that, that this technoference mm-hmm. is, is you're getting your sexual gratification elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, and it's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's always sexual gratification. No, for sure. It's, it's attention. Your attention is drawn yeah, yeah. elsewhere. No, I know that wasn't your main point. Right. It's like, it's just interesting but it to is. think. It's like, well, I'm I'm not getting my sexual gratification here. And I'm, they're looking at their phone. I'm looking at my phone. It's like, I'll get it somewhere else. But yeah. your, your overall point is, is 100% true. It's a both and. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know we've got some questions we'll get to eventually, mm-hmm. but if you go back, you know, before the smartphone, mm-hmm. you go back uh, before television, you mm-hmm. go back before the light bulb, <laughs> and, before before radio, and and when the sun sets and it's dark, like there's not all of these distractions and things that yeah. occupy your time. You can't yeah. even read there's a book. No, yeah, it's, it's right, too yeah. dark because. I mean, candles and torches or whatever are were hard to come by. I mean, like yeah, they were precious. And so it's like you don't necessarily want to sit there all night with a candle just to read a book. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's our culture today has so many more distractions of the technological advan- uh, um, type yeah. that didn't plague the Corinthian church or churches for centuries. Mm. Yeah. All right. And then... Um, this this last point is so it's it's such a Paul just kind of like tosses it in here, yeah. right? And he's so you you call it you know passion pause for prayer, right? And he's saying you know it's like do not neglect each other unless yeah for uh, is it prayer. perhaps yeah except it's like, it's like perhaps ex- like the double like maybe right it's like, and, except and then, it, and then he says perhaps <laughs> this is I say this as a concession yeah. not a command yeah yeah. And so it's it's so interesting how many caveats he puts around. It. Oh yeah, uh, but and, and this is interesting. I was uh, I grew up King James, mm-hmm. and so I grew up remembering oh, I this your, passage. I thought your name was Nathan. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I grew up on reading the King James and doing most of my memorization and, and initial reading in life there. And in the King James, he says, uh, except for prayer. And fasting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It does not say fasting in the ESV. It does not. Uh, and in fact, so another area of where he, where you get this prayer and fasting is like, you know, when Jesus comes to the, the disciples are having trouble casting out a demon. And he says, oh, this type only comes out through much prayer and fasting. And in both of those two situations, and, the, and there's a couple of other places in scripture where this happens. Uh, the fasting is not in the earlier mm. texts. So it is some scribe somewhere along the way connected this type of prayer to as, fasting. as usually always being partnered with fasting. Mm. And so that's why they threw. And he thought he should add it. Yeah. Yes. And so in your, so the King James translated technically from later texts. In this case, and so it is there in the Greek text. It's not mm-hmm. something added in the King James translation. It is in the the Greek text it was translated from, but it does seem to have been added to the Greek text at, at some, some point, point in time. So, uh, I would say, if you've got an exorcism 
you need to do and need a lot of prayer and fasting, you might want to take a break. It's good to know. You might want to take a break. Uh, it's, it's might be beneficial to take a, a pause on your yeah. passion so that you can pray and fast. Uh, so that we might cast out a demon. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Cause uh, I've always wondered in case that I have to run into the situation, <laughs> but, uh, and so he, I guess I'm calling Brent if I ever run into that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't know about this. So, but he, he's saying when you do that, there, that you can take a break, but you need to have enough because there's so much spiritual benefit to the sex within the marriage mm. that it's like uh if you want to take a break for other spiritual practices in this case he calls out prayer and specifics he's like but then be you know, it needs to be for a limited time needs to be mutual agreement that's what I was, and yeah, I was just about to point that out. those are the three the three things he's like you know you can do so uh by mutual agreement so uh, we both agree we're going to do this. <laughs> you can't just spring out. Uh, it's like, hey, we're doing this, by the way. <laughs> and uh, we, it's for a limited time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's for the purpose of prayer in this yep. case. And it's not just like, hey, I need to pray. It's really both. It's like yep. it's a mutuality of they're both focusing in prayer uh, on something. But then he says, but when that time comes to an end, it's like now, you know, when you you go to camp and you get on this spiritual high. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you come back and it's so easy to crash uh, from a spiritual sense. And he's like, so you are on this spiritual high because you've put this dedicated, devoted time into prayer that now when you come out of that season, you will perhaps be more uh, vulnerable to temptations. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so you need to get right back to this practice in order to protect yourself from Mm -hmm. those temptations. Um. Nathan, you didn't you didn't talk about it this way, but in your preparation for the sermon, one of the things you you mentioned was how Paul is almost using the language of a spiritual discipline. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't say that in your sermon, but but kind of you know, to, yeah. I think I think it's interesting to think about like because this is protecting you from, from temptation. It's like all. Mm-hmm. all, all. Yeah, I mean, I, I even talk about in the introduction of one of the books that I've considered writing, I would call it from discipline to desire. And it would be speaking about spiritual disciplines Mm -hmm. and the spiritual disciplines being those practices. uh, In fact, your John Mark Comer uh, calls them the habits. Yeah. He he likes to use the word habits and he, uh, he talks about the way of Jesus. And it's like these things that we do habitually, intentionally, uh, sometimes as a discipline, Mm -hmm. meaning, uh, Maybe you know, it's a choice. It's something yeah. that I set aside to do. Like, like you might have a, a discipline of waking up at six a.m. Mm-hmm. and to drive that discipline, you set an alarm. Yeah, and so when the alarm goes off, you get up. Now, does that mean you like getting up at six a.m.? Not necessarily. No. No. <laughs> but the premise is maybe you can go from a discipline to a desire. Like you yeah. can grow. Like if you start getting up at 6 a.m. and you have uh, some habits that you implement or some rewards that you give yourself that like it might be the the thing you look to for to most in the day, getting up at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. But uh, so not everybody, when they sit down to read the Bible the first time, like it becomes the richest experience they've yeah. ever had. But if you discipline yourself to do it, mm-hmm. it becomes the, one of the things you look forward to most in your day, it mm-hmm. grows into a desire. And so not that you don't always 
enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a point in time, it's like, even when you know you may not feel like it, mm -hmm. that there is a discipline in order, like you understand the benefits that come out as a result of it. You're growing in your relationship with one another in this intimacy, as well as this protection that it provides for you and your spouse yeah. from temptation. That it's like he's saying, here's something you should do for the sake of your holiness. Yeah. And that's what spiritual disciplines are. It's like things that help us to become more conformed into the image of Christ. And in this case, he, he says sex can help do that. Yeah. I thought that was just like a really unique, kind of interesting yeah. way to think about it. And I thought it'd be helpful for people to hear. Well, all right, we're going to move into our questions. We got two questions. Uh, first, Nathan mentioned this week some books that are great outside of the Bible uh, that can help combat our sexual desires. Could you give a couple of examples that help, particularly the pornography sin is, is one I struggle with, but any strengthening of the relationship helps. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, specifically about the pornography issue. Is there's a, 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 a wonderful book, fantastic book by Ray Ortland called The Death of Porn, and it's almost written as letters to... Uh, a, uh, like a son in the faith. And so uh, uh, Ray Ortland writes these letters. And I mean, just like no finger wagging, no embarrassment, no shame. Yeah. It is just purely a call to uh, adore Jesus, love people enough to not succumb or give in to this temptation, love yourself enough not to give into this temptation, love the Lord enough. To, I mean, just like purely uh, encouragement, um, building your faith in Jesus, your love of others that will draw you out of that temptation, not just scaring you out of it, not just, uh, you know, making you feel gross and dirty and shameful for it. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably the best resource I've ever, ever read on the issue of, of addiction to pornography. And so for that particular issue, I would suggest that book, yeah. the death of porn by Ray Orland. I have not read it. I trust Ray Ortland. Yeah. Oh. And uh, and I trust in in Ray we trust. <laughs> I trust uh, your judgment as well. And so uh, yeah, definitely I would put that on there. Yeah. Uh, I remember reading a book called The Enemy Within, mm -hmm. which uh, I can't think of the author's name right now, but it is actually kind of a moderniza modernizing and uh, critique of the mortification of sin by yeah. John Owen. Read that one. Which is. Uh, a hard read um, from the 1600s or so. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. uh, but uh, that I remember being particularly helpful uh, in my life. I also just drove home like spiritual disciplines again as well. I think in particular this, and I'm just speaking from my experience, fasting can be tremendously beneficial as a spiritual discipline and as a way of developing greater self-control mm -hmm. yeah. over oh, your body true. and so appetites. True. For sure. And so if you can, by the spirit, this isn't, I mean, like fasting is a little bit of a rage in culture today from a health perspective, mm -hmm. intermittent fasting or other prolonged fasts and how it might help for longevity. But that doesn't mean that God can't design something <gasps> that can give us spiritual benefit and physical benefits. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a book called The Hunger, a Hunger for God by mm. John Piper that I greatly recommend where he's saying uh, you you fast from food in a way to uh, 
focus and increase your hunger for the things of God. Mm. And if you can, through Holy Spirit supported self mastery, mm -hmm. fight against hunger, then your will and ability that spills over in your way yeah. to fight against other people. Oh, yeah. I, I would say you don't realize how much of a slave you are to whether it's food Your appetites app whatever appetite until you try to not have it yeah and then you quickly realize oh i'm a slave to, to all this stuff and and this fasting and in particular when the bible talks about fasting it really is talking about food yeah uh but i think that there is a place and when we can fast from uh and and important to note that fasting as a spiritual discipline is fasting from something good yeah Food is good. It is good and intended for you. Uh, you don't want to say, I'm going to fast from my pornography use. Mm. Uh, that's not a... <laughs> that's not, that's not yeah. a... I mean, it's a good thing to do, yeah, right? Yeah. To take that break. Uh, it's not a fast. A permanent break, but it's not fasting in a spiritual sense. Yeah. But I mean, there are there are also other good, you know, other things in our lives. Like we talked about phone use. Mm -hmm. uh, if, yeah. You know, particularly maybe taking a break from social media or from other things for a period of time as a way of oh. focusing. Also just a practical point from the from the sermon. No phones in the in bed is such an excellent just practical rule of life. And so I would encourage all of you to 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 follow that rule. One one of the things uh, I think Ryan's gonna preach from chapter eight. I think it's in chapter eight. Where Paul says, uh, "I beat my body and I make it my slave." I think mm. that's I think that's in the eight. Um, but it's like this idea that I am some. You know, I had a professor one time say, "It's like sometimes I just pick things uh, in life and I just say I'm not going to have it and I'm just going to not do it to make myself mm -hmm. find the strength to say I am not a slave to this thing. I am in control, um, and that's so much harder than you think. Because we think on the outside, oh, I can stop doing that whenever I want. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Try to go one day without eating. It's really hard. Uh, so back to uh, the rec Books. book recommendation. Yeah. I think the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller uh, isn't specifically addressing pornography. It isn't, but uh, just and for both married and yep. single yep. people, like before you get married, it is a. a it's just one of the best books and I've, I've read several i think there are many good books out there in fact the but meaning of marriage tim keller i think we might have some copies um, on the grow wall potentially not on, not right now may have sold yeah. out, but there has office. been yeah and uh but gary thomas wrote a book called sacred marriage it's partly where i get uh where i was first kind of introduced to marriage as a as a means of developing our own holiness, mm -hmm. like how God intends marriage, your spouse to help you in your holiness. Mm -hmm. And particularly we think about first Corinthians seven. Uh, it's a good book. I would say meaning of marriage before that. And then uh, there's a book uh, written by some evangelical women uh, that is helpful, I think for women, but also men to read. It's uh, called the great sex rescue and uh, really brings I talked a little bit about purity culture mm -hmm. and some of the negative impacts, like <laughs> purity culture, good thing. Like we should have, we a want pure, a culture that promotes purity. purity. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not to the degradation yeah. of other people. And so there, there are some of the ideas propagated up, 
that that come about sex being a bad thing mm-hmm. and uh, and this idea that you know how I'm all for modesty. I'm all for mm-hmm. women being careful about those things, but we put pressure on them, and then we not on the boys that are looking at them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so there's was a true imbalance. Uh, so to rescue women, in a sense, coming out of that culture, uh, I recommend the Great Sex Rescue. Yeah, I've not read that. Um, you got any other books you want to recommend? No, I, I like all those. I think they're great. No, I think the only thing I would say is for, for the porn addiction thing that this guy's struggling with. You can't just read a book. Well, I, yeah, someone else <laughs> yeah. right. needs Accountability, to know. Yeah. Like you're just not going to do it by yourself. So yeah. bring someone else into the equation. Yeah, but, I mean, the uh, I know you guys have heard me use this illustration and I almost used it again yesterday. Uh, there's this song growing up that I heard. It's called Susie's Diet. Oh, yeah. You got to talk about Susie's Diet. And it's from this band called Everybody Duck. And it, the words go something like this. It's like, Susie has decided that it's time to lose some weight. So she must choose with caution just what foods go on her plate. She has chocolate milkshake powder that she drinks three times a day. And once a week, a piece of diet frozen cheesecake is okay. But despite all of her efforts, Susie's weight won't go away. Because she works 30 hours a week at Sam's All You Can Eat Buffet. <laughs> and I live my life like Susie's diet. I surround myself with things I vow to give up and I like it. And so I'm bound to fail. And so the, the premise being, if pornography is uh, a challenge for you, then what other, not just book, but what mm-hmm. safeguards? I mean, like if it's predominantly on your phone, like what yeah, use covenant eyes, get a dumb phone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yo, uh, don't go to the all you can eat buffet, which exactly, is your phone. Exactly. Yeah. Uh if it's uh, if there's a particular time of day, if there's a particular yep. place, yep. Like, just don't go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and come clean to someone. Yep. It is it can you should come clean at some point in time to your spouse, right? Uh Details aside, mm-hmm. but uh, that may not be the first step for you, and it may the the conflict that might is going to happen there mm-hmm. as well. But uh, come clean to someone and have some accountability around yeah. that. Yeah, and someone that's not just going to one hundred percent just judge you, mm-hmm. but is going to want to come alongside you and want to help hold you accountable and give you some of these ideas. And Which protections. I will say, like one of the assumptions is going to be, it's like, well, I just don't know anyone that's not going to judge me. And it's like, what, it's like 80% of men or something, 90% of men have watched pornography mm-hmm. in their life. So yeah. it's like the odds are this person's actually going to be like, been there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I yeah. want to I wanna help you. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say those of us here around this table would be hopefully not less, not judgmental and yeah. willing to help oh, those people. Yeah, 100%. I don't want to be the accountability partner for another 50 people or something of that nature. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Um. And so I think, yeah, putting those tools in place yeah. from a practical standpoint. Uh, so the la- here's the last question. And it's kind of the, it's almost like the cherry on top of the, the, the question first, everyone wants to know. Yeah, this is the question on everyone's mind. It's the elephant in the room. So how often should a married couple have sex? Yeah. Nathan? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you take a break for the sake of prayer and fasting. So how long are you willing to go without food? <laughs> the what's interesting 
Uh, so doing some research, uh, both around the Corinthian culture and, and um, Jewish culture, is this was a question that the Jews had Duh. at some point in time. And uh, the Talmud, which is not the Bible, but is some rabbinical writing. So almost like a commentary on the Bible, yeah. sort of, yeah. Uh, does actually provide uh, some instruction on this. And it's very helpful and practical. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, the, the instruction they give, the, the rabbis to the Jews at the time, actually says that it depends on the man's occupation. <laughs> if he had a more uh, laborious physical occupation that he, that he could... Uh, say no to sexual relations more often than uh, the one who had a uh, a desk job. Yeah, the yeah. desk job. Well, I was about to say, what does it say about like coders or IT desk support? I know, yeah, <laughs> it, it, knowledge workers. Is we? Oh, is whoa, the, is, okay. Is, I was like, <laughs> that's the, the, when you sit at a desk all day. That predominantly this, they refer to you as a, a knowledge worker. Like you are. Okay. Your value is not the skill set you bring with your hands, but your mind to the I was, your knowledge. I worker. was joking because this was written like thousands of years right. ago or hundreds of years ago or whatever. But I mean, so like, like they tax, wouldn't even know a tax what collector, that, yeah, right? Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I get it. Just the rabbi himself. Yeah. Uh, there are those. Uh, if you are a <laughs> sailor, once okay. every six months. Which, Not the profession for me. Right. Uh, if you are a camel driver, once every 30 days, at least. <laughs> which I'm out. How many? <laughs> but... For those with, but then he's I'm thinking about people at our church driving cables. <laughs> <laughs> That's a job. But but for hey, those, what do you do? But Drive for cables. those uh, who have a less intense job, and that's probably because they're not home. And exactly right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's really for the practical sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're out driving cables. It does say every day for, for men of for, for men of uh, non labor occupations. There you have it, folks. Every day, that we're, there we go. No, <laughs> no. What uh, you mean? And the way they write about this in the Talmud is really what the husband owes to the wife, in a sense. Yeah. And if he does not uh, fulfill this every day, he can be fined for it. Oh, they would. Wife going to turn him in, right? Uh, and and so that was in a way for. Almost, they're trying to liberate women in a sense mm -hmm. to like, because uh, I think in that culture, very male centric and what yeah. the man said went. Mm -hmm. So it, yep. it, it, there was but, never a concern on his part. And also because, probably because uh, concubines, multiple wives, right. whatever. It's like, no, no, you owe this to her. Yeah. Not some other woman. No. What, so outside of the Talmud. Outside of the Talmud. I would what, say. What would you guys advise? I would this say. Person? I would say it's more often than you think. Yeah. Uh, and again, we, if we've already talked about today this technoference that modern the modern world. I mean, like you you go back two hundred years and it the mm -hmm. sun goes down, especially this time of year. Oh yeah. It's dark for a long time. You can only sleep so much. So it's more often than you think. People want a number, Nathan. People are not going to get a number. Oh, yeah. I've got a number. Oh, they won't get a number. Well, they so, won't get a number uh, for me either. I, I will say, 
a minimum number. Like a, like a mm. in a normal week, mm. like 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 a normal week. What's what should be the? And let's not be legalistic. Yeah. But I, like, what's a? Hey, we should shoot for a minimum of. I just think there's too many factors to consider. So I I do think, and and as we sit around the table here, we've got. Uh, Two years? Almost. Yeah. Two years in April. Be coming up on two years in April. 12 years. 12 years. And uh, we will be 25 years next year. Yeah. And How's that possible? You're only 25 years old. I know. Different seasons of life. So I think there are different seasons. Uh, and like there, none of us are of advanced age. Right. Yeah. There, yeah. there are seasons of no kids. There mm-hmm. are seasons of five kids under the age of ten, of 10 <laughs> yeah. that running around the house. So there are those sort of complexities. The There's also just in your own seasons of life where things go. So I think there needs to be, you should talk about it, firstly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's- Be strategic. And it shouldn't be that the, and it should be mutual mm-hmm. in the sense well, of not- it's not that the person with the highest libido wins mm. or the person with the lowest libido mm-hmm. wins. Like there needs to be some sort of compromise yep. in between there. Yep. And uh, and it might change per seasons sure. of life. And so uh, I I think if you are talking in the in the area of how many times per week, some people might want to talk about how many times per day. But, oh gosh. <laughs> but I think if you're talking about how many times per week, you're in the right ballpark as opposed to how many times per year. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Because what I, I mean, I want to say like at least once a week, maybe shoot for twice a week. But it's like if you're going a month, like because I do a lot of, I mean, I do premarital counseling, mm-hmm. do marital counseling. This is often a question, often an issue. And I think one of the helpful discussions around this is that I like to say is, and I think this is 90% true, that sex is a thermometer, not a thermostat. Mm. So sex is telling you the health of your marriage. Like a thermometer tells you the temperature. Sex is revealing to you the health of your marriage. It's not a thermostat where, oh, if we just have more sex, our our marriage will get better. Now, I think that's 90% true because I do think there are times, you kind of alluded to this earlier, where it's like, hey, if we haven't done it, um, if we've just gotten to a fight, you know, whatever. Tim Keller in The Meaning of Marriage, he talks about how sex is covenant renewal. And so there is an aspect of having sex that also reminds us of how close we are. It brings us closer. It heals us. But I think that's only 10% true. I think 90% of it is how often you have sex is revealing how healthy your marriage is. And so I think it is definitely a weekly discussion, not a monthly discussion. So, yeah. I mean, they, they did say uh, from like the rabbis every Sabbath, mm. at least nothing else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nothing, but uh, but I, I, I mean, you say a couple times a week. Some people might say that's that's not going to be enough. And then you're going to yeah. have oh, yeah. some people like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I also think just the only thing I'll, I'll kind of add to that is there's a really radical verse in this passage for the first century. And it's like, it's like essentially it's like, remember husbands. Your body belongs to your wife. Yeah. And remember, wives, your body belongs to your husband. And so it's just like, be ready to serve your wife. Mm-hmm. Like, remember that your body is not yours. It's hers. Mm-hmm. And so if she if she has a desire for your body sexually, like, she should be able to, it should be available to her. It's her body. 
Mm-hmm. And in the same way, women, if if your husband has a sexual desire for you and he is pursuing you and it's like, you should be available to him because it's actually his body, not yours. Mm. And so, I mean, obviously that has, that's a little slippery slope where we get into some of the uh, misapplications right. of the text. But I think this willful submission on from both people, mm-hmm. I think if you're actually both sub, like willfully submitting to each other uh, with the recognition that your body is not your own and belongs to your spouse, mm-hmm. you'll do it enough. And, and I do think you, you mentioned this, but the reschedule, I think, is a powerful thing. Yeah. It's like, I have this desire, but the, for some reason, could yeah. be a million reasons, the other person is not in a place to, to fulfill it. And so you're, you're communicating, I love you, I want to be with you, let's reschedule for tomorrow yeah. or whenever. And, and, and clearly, like, how can you say no while also affirm yeah. Honor, yeah, yeah, yeah. to honor and, and protect Yep the purity yeah. of the other. Uh, Paul sure. says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition yeah. or conceit, but in humility count your others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. And this is uh, outside of marriage, but is very clear in, mm-hmm. inside of marriage. And then, you know, in the new year, as we continue this uh, pickup Corinthians after Advent, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to chapter 13. Yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. And, and there's so much we can say about that. So that's where it's like having the theology of marriage and sex that's beyond these seven verses is important. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks for joining us for the recap. We hope this conversation has encouraged you to keep striving to make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. If you aren't part of our church family, We'd love to be you on a Sunday morning. We gather for worship at 10.30 a.m. For more information, you can always go to myfellowship.church. Thanks for listening. Be blessed.